You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jonathan. It is good to see you. Uh, we do not have to ask for a show of hands who actually showed up at 1025 to be here for the 1030 service. But if it, were you, if it was you, it's okay, and we are glad that you're here. Um, what a great day. What a great day to be here. What a great day to see you here that you've endured the long walk from the dirty parking lot, and you have made it into this place. It's getting better. You see that it's getting a little better. You probably pulled up and was like, wait, why can't we park there? Uh, it's coming. It's our little teaser, just like heaven. Like, it's like the day's coming. Uh, but uh, this is good news. We have good things to celebrate right after church. I want to encourage you uh, to please stay for that uh, at, at the beginning of the service, we had, I think, what was it, 17 people that we are going to baptize, uh, which is amazing, and that is exciting, and so uh, please stay for that. I don't know any other way to start into this text, but to ask you a question that I think is important for us to answer, and that's this, how do you identify as a person? How do you identify yourself? This is a question that we see in our day gaining so much momentum, so much emphasis is on this question. And what we looked at last week is that how we answer this question ultimately is the answer to another question, a, a deeper question. And that question is not just how do I identify myself, but with whom do I identify? Who am I connected with? Who do I identify with? Like, and even the answer to that reveals this. It reveals who or what we worship. How do I identify myself? Who, whom do I identify with? And that's going to reveal what I am the most affectionate toward, what I love the most. And 
Ultimately, who am I worshiping answers the question, who am I following? See how the domino effect starts to move forward. And really the question comes down to this, whose voice is the loudest in my life? Whose word is the most important in my life? Whose objective, whose mission, whose purpose gets to dictate how I am who I am or what I am who I am? Whose voice is the loudest? What objective, whose blueprint really matters for me? Last week, we began to notice that Jesus was leading his disciples into sort of these questions without unpacking it all that way. He began with a very simple question. Before this, Herod had asked the question, who is this Jesus? And then Jesus asked the question, we read it again today, who do the crowds say that I am? And so they answered who the crowds were. And then he gets right to the right question, the specific question. Who do you say that I am? This is the right question to be asking because who we say that Jesus is will dictate what we believe Jesus has for us to offer, has to offer us in our life. Last week, we noticed that the crowd answered it one way, that they wanted to restrict Jesus into what they're familiar with, what they're comfortable with knowing. And so what they, what we were hearing from the crowds last week and what Herod was hearing from the crowds, what the disciples were hearing from the crowd is that they were more comfortable identifying Jesus as a famous prophet who had risen from the dead, they're more comfortable with that than identifying Jesus as the Savior Christ who came as a king with a new kingdom. They are more comfortable acknowledging, well, Elijah we understand, uh, John the Baptist we understand, so surely this is, a, this is somebody we can kind of put into that box and think we're doing a good thing by pointing like this is a prophet coming instead of listening to the words of the prophets that point to this man. Peter speaks up and answers, you are Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. And in it, we recognize in this title, in this identity that Jesus, uh, that Peter says, we understand and we identify the purpose of Jesus. And what we'll see and what he's doing here in the context is that this purpose of Jesus is connected to the calling that Jesus has for us. Who do you say that he is? Before we even move forward, before the dominoes start of questions start piling up, who do you say that Jesus is? When Peter answered, the Christ of God, it says in verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Why? There's coming a day where he's going to unleash for them all that they should be telling. But for now, he says, don't tell anybody what you just declared. In order to understand a little bit of this, we need to understand this title. Christ. You are Christ. You are the Christ of God. What does it mean to be 
Christ? What is the meaning of Christ? Well, if you've been tracking with us in the preaching through the book of Luke, we were going verse by verse through the book of Luke, and we several months ago saw the agenda, the purpose of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when he took the scrolls and he stood up and read from a passage in Isaiah. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, here's what he read. He said, he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is Jesus reading this. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It says that he rolled up the scrolls and he said, today this, these verses are fulfilled. What Jesus is saying is, I am the one who's come to bring liberty. I'm the one that's come to set the captives free. The chains that are bounding you, the sin, all the oppression that's been bounding you, I've come to shatter those so that you can be free. What it means to be the Christ is to bring sight to the blind, the the spiritually blind, to bring liberty and freedom to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim that now is the time. This is the Lord's favor. We understand also what it means to be the Christ all the way fast forward to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, if you're one of those like, like me that has a hard copy of the Bible, turn to Hebrews 12 and keep your finger in it because Lord willing, at the end of the sermon today, we're going to come back to Hebrews 12. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at just at verse 2 and we'll see a little more about what this identity of the Christ really means. The writer of Hebrews, there's a lot that he has talked about in identifying who Christ is and Jesus and what he's done. But I I love this, and we're going to see why I'm bringing this up at the end of the sermon. But he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. Look to Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the founder. He is the perfecter of your faith. This does not say that this Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of making sure you know what your good Enneagram work is or your talents are or your personality is. No, Jesus as the Christ is the one who endured the cross, despised the shame so that your faith can be perfected. Jesus was not a risen prophet. He is the Christ. He is the founder of our faith. He was the one to bring liberty and salvation to God's people. To be Christ is to be the Savior. It's to be the answer. It's to be the the representation of the new kingdom as the king of kings. Also, being Christ means that Jesus came to accomplish some things, right? Not just everybody's supposed to have the title and then all of a sudden everything's supposed to be worked out. No, to be Christ means, and he even shares with his disciples here, what the Christ has to do to be the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And that's 
what he gets into here. He strictly charges them, commands them not to tell anyone, and then he says in verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. Now, let's just stop there. Peter, just in Luke's account, just acknowledged, I know who you are. You're the, you're the Christ of God. Notice that Jesus did not immediately say, oh, that's cool, y'all are on board. This is great. Okay, let's do this now. I, I mean, I was surprised. Peter, that surprised me that you came to that. Great, good, you're on board. Now, now that you've identified me correctly, let's go into Jerusalem. Let's just kind of see if it, let's float it out there. Let's see if others have buy-in. Let's see if they catch a glimpse of what you just said. Let's see if we can go and do some good there. Let's just kind of test it out there. Let's kind of get some surveys going. I'm going to try to do some good. I'm going to actually, I think probably the best thing to do is kind of hobnob with the elite. I'm, let me like, get with them. Let me plead our, our cause and our mission and what we're about. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of get with people and see if, if I could help them become the better them. I'm going to just go and let's, let's kind of spread out and make sure people get this invitation from us that we're here just to sort of make your life just a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit happier. We want you to kind of all get along, all vote the same way, all do the same things. In fact, I could, he didn't say, picture with me, guys, we're going to go into Jerusalem and we're going to win some friends. We're going to influence the top notch. Don't, don't just think about what that'll mean for me. Yeah, they're, they're going to applaud me and they're going to really like me, but, but think about what that means for you. Like they're going to, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the elders, the, the, the scribes, they're, they're going to be envious of you. Like they're going to want to be like you. Disciple. Did Jesus say any of that to them? Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Jesus says, don't broadcast that yet. There's coming a day where you will, but right now, there's some things the Christ must do. Verse 22, the Son of Man must. And then it lists several things. The word must here, the pronunciation of the Greek word of this is actually the word, it sounds like the word die. It's not the same meaning as what we understand die, but I think that is unique that he's saying the Son of Man must, which means this, it is necessary for, there's a dire need of, there's a need of, there's a necessity. The Son of Man, the Christ who you just proclaim me to be, it is necessary for me to do some things as the Christ. What are those things? What are those things that must happen for Jesus to fulfill his purposes that he read about in Luke chapter 4? First of all, he must suffer many things. Imagine hearing that as the disciples. Whoa, 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 whoa. You tricked us. We declare the Christ, and now you're saying it's about to go south. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Part of that suffering means the Son of Man must be rejected. By who? By the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. 
everyone that the people of God has come to trust and listen to as the way to know God more, all of them are going to reject me. This must happen. It's the necessity that this happens to the Christ. I must suffer many things. He said he must be rejected. He must be killed. There is no Christ. There is no foundation of salvation. There is no work of salvation without the suffering, the rejection, and the murder of Jesus. By who? Well, obviously, that influencing religious group that rejected Jesus, they're a part of this, right? I mean, they had to approve it. Jesus doesn't get murdered and sent to uh, a Roman persecution and an execution without these guys who rejected him approving that. But also, it was the very crowds that thought he was Elijah and all the people. It was the mob that screamed out and approved and even applauded the crucifixion of Jesus. It was in Pilate's head as he's wondering, who is this? What has he done to deserve this kind of treatment from y'all, from us? Like y'all, I don't even know if y'all know. I can imagine Pilate having this kind of, I don't even know if y'all know how bloody this is going to get for him. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The voice in Pilate's mind and ears were louder than anyone else's. The culture, the crowd, the mob, all chanting their idea of Jesus, reject him, crucify him. The Roman guards stepped in, carried out their role. The religious elite stepped in, carried out their role. Pilate stepped in, carried out their role. And this is how the Christ suffered, was rejected, and was killed. All of them acting out of their own interest, their own self-identity. They were identifying, I've got to preserve myself. I've got to promote myself. I've got to exalt myself. Christ died. To be the Christ means that Jesus must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. And also, he must be raised. And we celebrate that as the church. We are here. We just sing about it. The, the glorious victory of Christ on the cross and Christ defeating death in the resurrection. He is not the Christ if these things do not happen. These things must happen, Jesus said. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not some lunatic that's trying to lead everybody astray. I'm not some liar that's trying to just kind of win people to my own little bitty or to your own little bitty causes. No, something bigger is at play. He would need to suffer. He would need to take up his cross. He, need to, he would need to horribly die. And we see here the main purpose of the Christ of God. His aim and his main purpose was not just to help me feel good about my feelings. His main agenda as Christ was not to help me feel good about the urges inside of me that the crowd and the world is telling me, reject what Jesus is saying because you need to be free. 
That's not Jesus' main agenda here. His main agenda is to suffer, be rejected, be killed, be raised. And his agenda is not here to be your co-pilot. He is not here to be an example of love only. He is not here just to be a good teacher. Jesus is not the Christ. What it means to be the Christ is not just to be an acceptor of broken people, sweet and nice. He is not here just to be someone known as loving sinners but hating the sin. He is Jesus the Christ who came to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be raised and to call us to be his disciples. We need to understand the context here. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he sort of asking, how do you see who I am? And here's what I must could do. Because there's a link here. There's a link of us understanding his identity to us understanding our calling. Us knowing his purpose connects us with what our purpose is with him. This is very Important. Verse 22, we see what he must do. And then verse 23, he says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. This is a link from his purpose to our calling. It's his identity and his purpose to our identity and our purpose. It's the link that we see from Luke chapter 4 where he declares that this is what's going to be happening to the link in Matthew 28 that we know is the Great Commission. Let me just remind us of what the Great Commission was. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And before he ascended to the Father, he gathers some that, that were believing and he gives them this commissioning. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make sure everybody is okay with their sexuality. Is that what it says? Go and make sure that everybody is happy and having their best life right now. Go, and therefore, and make disciples of where? Surely he just means the Middle East because everybody out west and in later days is going to progress beyond these statements. So go and make disciples of just where you are right now. And the West, they're going to evolve. They're going to get better than us. But right now, just do that. No, it says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's more. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer, must be rejected by these people who at that time were considered authorities. They must be, he must be killed. Here in 28, he is saying, All authority in heaven has been given to me. You think their voice was loud. My voice is loudest. And here's what your mission is. Make disciples of all nations and teach everyone to observe everything I've told you. 
If only there was some place in Scripture where we could see clearly what it is that Jesus is telling us to observe. How about the very next verse? If anyone would come after me, here's the three things that must happen. Let's look at them. This is our calling. This is what we are called to. If we believe with Peter that Jesus is the Christ, here is what he is calling us to. Here's where the next domino is. I identify with Jesus. Now this means this and this and this. If we answer, I want to follow Jesus, I don't want to follow the crowd, then these statements are for us. Let's look at our calling. First of all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. These instructions could not be more clear. The supreme goal of Jesus is not to develop our self-confidence. The supreme goal of Jesus is not to make sure we have a good image in the community. The supreme goal of Jesus is not to get a, an identity of the truer selves of who we are. The goal of Jesus is to make sure that we are not mishandling, misrepresenting, redirecting people from his teachings. And so to do that, our calling, first of all, is to deny ourself. This Greek word of deny comes from, the, it actually is pronounced arnomai, which means literally to disown. What comes to your mind when you hear, I've been disowned, or you're disowning? You're removing something off your property. You are kicking it out of the house. When we deny ourselves, it simply means more than just making a public profession that I'm going to boycott this, 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 this. Denying ourselves doesn't mean that we're just making these public statements out there of what we're not allowing inside. It actually means we are disowning stuff inside of us. That needs to be kicked out. I'm going to deny myself these urges that the public is saying I owe it to myself to hold on to. If anyone would come after me, let him disown himself. To be a follower of Christ means that there's an inward battle before there's an outward battle. One commentator put it this way, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to disown one's natural, depraved, sinful self. It is to give up all dependence on and confidence in oneself and one's work to save ourselves. Have you denied yourself to follow Jesus? R.C. Sproul put it this way, when it comes right down to it, you either deny Christ and follow yourself, or you deny yourself and follow Christ. You cannot follow Christ and follow yourself. This is what it means to identify with Jesus Christ. This is what it means to identify with him as Christ, your Lord and Savior. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to repent. I'm going to disown those things that maybe the entire world would approve and applaud. But I'm going to disown that from me so that and I'm going to turn from that 
I'm going to follow Jesus. He is worthy of it all. And he is worth everything. I'm going to disown those depraved parts of me and follow the majestic rule of Christ. Our calling begins in the private lives. It begins not in the public. We deny ourselves. Secondly, we see that our calling is to take up our cross daily. Take up your cross when you're seven, before you're baptized, and you're good to go. Take up your cross daily. It's weird in a way, if you think about it, that Jesus was using this metaphor, this picture of taking up your cross before he went to the cross. Several people criticize um, the writers of the gospel putting this in before he went to the cross, but there is evidence to believe that Jesus um, and the, the, the Jews actually were under Roman rule, and they were very familiar with how the Romans executed people. They had developed an idiom, the Jewish people did, that they would apply for their Jewish community, meaning bearing one's cross before Jesus went to the cross, which means for them enduring the worst that the world has to offer. They developed this, enduring the worst that the world can throw at you. It was a necessary, it was a a metaphor, and it was a picture that fit as Jesus used this. He was saying to them, disown yourself and be ready every day to endure the very worst that the mob and the crowd and the world can throw at you. Taking up your cross daily is to identify with Jesus as part of our calling. Remember, he said he must suffer, he must be rejected, and even be killed to follow Jesus. means I am willing, like him, to endure the worst, to take up my cross, even though people may not approve it, may not applaud it, may not cheer it. I'm ready to endure the worst. For some, this might be dealing with an uncontrollable lust for wealth. If you have this uncontrollable zeal to be wealthy at all cost, you see it in your life patterns, you see how it controls you, you see how you think about it all the time, you want to look up YouTube videos, how to do this, and how to gain this, and how to have that, and then when you don't get that, you, you spiral in a horrible place. There's an issue there. I want to identify with that. That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, you need to go get rid of everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you can follow me. Get ready to endure everything the world can offer or that's the worst at you. Deny yourself. Disown that part of you, and then then you can follow me. So he went away sad because he had great wealth. Maybe for you, it's those who habitually deal with uncontrollable lust of the flesh sexual morality or pornography in some way. Maybe for you, you might have to take up the cross. You might have to endure with, the, like with slow internet by putting a hor- very strict filter on your computer. You might have to invite people in that are going to ask you and always be watching with accountability so that you can pursue purity in your life. Are you not willing to do that for the sake 
of taking up the cross and following Jesus? Are you not willing to disown that ugly part of yourself that you try to keep hidden in secret that he knows about? Maybe for you, it's those who have deep within them this struggle with same-sex attraction. And the crowds and the mob, and you can go read book after book and YouTube video after YouTube video, people telling you, it's okay, it's okay, this is who you are, be that, be that, be that, come out, we'll celebrate you. Instead of, let's disown those parts of your life that are depraved and instead, get ready for what everyone wants to throw at you. Take up your cross Deny yourself and don't follow the crowd. Follow me, Jesus says. Jesus says, if I'm the Christ, basically, I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be killed and I will rise again. Know this, if you disown yourself, you endure the worst is that could be thrown at you, then you follow me. That's part of your calling, part of your identity. I am a follower of Jesus. Not here's my pronouns, not here's my portfolio, not here's the sports I'm really good at. No, I identify with Jesus. He is my Christ. I will follow him. I will take up my cross. To follow Jesus, that's the third part of this calling. To follow Jesus is to obey when it's hard, when it's not popular, when you feel like you're all alone, when you feel like you're the only one struggling with it. In fact, that's part of the creative and amazing lie of the enemy is to make you think, well, Jason, you, Pastor Jason doesn't know anything what I'm struggling with. Jesus in the garden, before the cross, before he's handed over to be suffering many things, before his Christ work is being done, he's in the garden praying to the Father, and he cries out what maybe you have cried out many times. Oh, God, why am I having to go through this? I don't want to go. I don't want to drink this cup. But not my will. Your will be done. This is our hero. This is our savior. This is the Christ. He knows the temptation that we face for self-preservation. He knows the temptation that you're facing and that you're dealing with for self-gratification and for you to just kind of get rid of all the ugly things. He knows all of this. Are you willing to say with him, not my will, but your will be done, O Christ? His purpose is to be the Christ. Our calling is to follow him. And then he presents to them this grand paradox in verse 24 through 26. He just told them to all, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then verse 24 you hear the promises here. Promise is going to sound negative, and it's going to sound very positive. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it. There's a loss. There is a loss. You deny yourself. You disown it. You kick it out the door. The, The depraved part of us. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? And hear this very clearly, because if your identity of Jesus doesn't fit what Jesus is saying his identity is in verse 26, then you're following a different Jesus. Verse 26, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. When he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is telling his disciples, it's about to get rough. It's about to get real. Who do you say that I am? Uh, Am I your Christ? Am I the Christ of God? Then now's the time. Disown your sin. Take up your cross. Follow me. When you do, When you do, there's going to be the applause of heaven. When you do, I will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. When you do, you will gain a life that you never could dream of. Our identity with the purpose of Christ, he gives us our identity in Christ. It's what he's done and what he is doing and what he has done for us that we say, yes, I want that. I'll let go of all of this to be that with him. You might be here and say to me the very things that I've said multiple times in my journey to growing joy in Christ. Because again, listen, I know Satan wants to convince you that you're the only one that struggles with these things, whatever it is. Maybe different than mine, but I know that struggle. I know that, well, if I could just fool them and hold on to this, no one else is going to know. And then when I hold on to this and realize, oh, this hurt me, this scarred me, this is hurting people around me, and I decide I want to let that go, I go, God, but I feel all alone in this. No one's going to join me in this. Let's go back to Hebrews 12, and we'll close with this. I think in my journey with, as a Christian, growing in Christ in the church, from a little boy on, there's several places in Scripture that just jumped out, and I I can credit as saying, being a very practical key to help me walk in obedience to Christ. Not perfection, but this is one of those, like, Really, really big ones in my life. And I want to share it with you. This is an invitation. I'm not preaching at you. This is an invitation to join me in this. How do we follow this way? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we don't have time to unpack that. But what that is saying is that the entire chapter 11 should convince you, you are not alone. There have been people wrestling and dying 
for faith in Christ. In fact, one thing I want to encourage you to do, if you get bored somehow with chapter 11 because the enemy's crafty and he's going to make you like not believe everything in here sometimes, get Box's Book of Martyrs. There's been times I've been struggling with temptation for lust or riches or fame or something, and I go, well, how come I'm struggling with this? And I go to Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I only have to read two or three stories. I'm like, okay, I'm over it. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You think you're alone? The writer of Hebrews is saying sin clings closely to all of us. Not alone. Let it go. And instead, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Who set the race before us? Jesus the Christ did. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's already done it. He's already done the work. He's already given you the finish line. He's already told you this is victory that is yours. Just stay in the lane. Keep going. I'm keeping you in the lane. In fact, he's the one holding us there. He's the one that's going to get us there. It's a whole other theology. Anyway, but it's trusting in him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Does Jesus want you struggling to defeat sin instead of embracing it and celebrating it for a month? Yes, he does. But he's with you. He's, he's for you. He set the race before you. He said, in fact, listen to the promise. How did Jesus do it? How did he leave the garden? Say, it's not my will, but your will be done. How did I do this for sinful people who hate me? It says, for the joy that was before him. He endured the cross. People, there's a greater joy than the joy of you self-actualizing in some identity. So my question comes back to you. How do you identify yourself? Whatever your answer is, I'm pleading with you as Jesus did. If it's not Jesus, you are the Christ. And I am your follower. If it's not that, then you'll always be wanting, always be aggravated, and you're going to miss out on the greatest pleasure and life and joy that awaits you. There is no comparison to the one who sits at the right hand of the Father saying to you and to me, I know, I know what you struggled with. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. Let's pray. Oh God, as we prayed earlier, I ask you now, please lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. And one of those tempting things right now is to think that we've got to do all the work to be saved. But Jesus, you are the Christ. We read that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. You, oh God, I pray that you would help us to keep disowning things that should be out of our life. Help us to do the private things before we go on Facebook or go and boycott and do all the things publicly. Help us privately, Lord, to deny ourselves the things that we know are hurting us. I pray, oh God, that your voice would be the loudest in our lives. All the books, all the resources, all the mobs and the crowds who reject you. I don't want to be a part of it, Lord. Encourage us, help us, strengthen us as we surrender our all to you for the purpose of great pleasure and great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.